Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now continue in our worship, transitioning from singing songs, worshiping you, to now hearing your word proclaimed. I, I pray that we allow your Holy Spirit to guide us as we hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. President Roosevelt said that December 7th, 1941 was a day that would live in infamy. Some of you were affected by this attack on Pearl Harbor from the Japanese. This surprise attack disabled much of the American fleet in the Pacific, and some of you maybe were around during the time of this attack. Maybe you had a father or a grandfather, great-grandfather, who then was rushed off to war because of this attack on the United States of America at Pearl Harbor. But it was a day that Roosevelt said would live in infamy. Soon it became abundantly clear, though, that the aircraft carrier was going to reign supreme in the Pacific. It became abundantly clear that this war was a little bit different than most other wars from that in which we had experienced before. This war was going to be fought primarily at sea, with naval vessels being the primary target, the primary weapon, the primary defender of some of these islands. So therefore, the, the U.S. government feared that fact, knowing that the war hinged on whether or not their ships could remain floating. They didn't want their ships to be sunk like some of them were sunk at Pearl Harbor. So with all that being said, the United States government went on a campaign, and this is what that campaign slogan said. Loose lips might sink ships. Now, we say loose lips sink ships, but at that time, the government said, loose lips might sink ships. Think about it. You're out in the middle of the Pacific. Even pinning a letter home could be intercepted. Even if you wanted to write home to mom or dad or grandma, and you just gave them a little bit of information of maybe where your exact location was, and if that information fell into the hands of the enemy, it could be all over for the naval vessel that you were floating on. See, the book of James, those of us in the Lord's army, those of us who have a saving faith in Jesus are actually under the exact same warning. Our lips can either sink ships or simply keep them floating. We may think we're keeping ships floating by, you know, not smoking, by, by not drinking, or, or, or because we don't swear. But we're really sinking them by gossiping, 
by slandering and by backbiting one another. After all, we wouldn't want our loose lips to spring leaks in the body of Christ. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, Taming the Tongue. Taming the Tongue. Today we're going to be in James. We get to begin chapter 3 because we just finished chapter 2. Today we're going to be in James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. But we can't forget that last time when we finished James chapter 2 in our sermon Dead Faith Part 2, we recognize that our works reveal a faith justified in Jesus. Really, when we are out and about in the community doing good works, only thing that is honestly doing is reflecting Christ's salvation in our lives so others can come to a saving faith in Him as well. Let's face it. We just went through a hurricane. We've seen parts of our county that will never look the same again. Yeah, they may be built back better, but who's to say in 50 years or 100 years another hurricane's not going to just come along anyway? It's not about building buildings or structures or any of that. It's about building relationships so we can share our faith in Jesus. And we can only do that because we're justified in Jesus to begin with. And this is all because faith and works have a symbiotic relationship. But today we're going to be shifting gears as we start chapter 3. We're going to be talking about a member of our body that is a restless evil. A member that's full of deadly poison. That's what the Bible says about our tongue. Brothers and sisters, we're listening as James is encouraging us to tame the tongue, or he's encouraging us in taming the tongue. So therefore, let's go ahead and get into our text this morning, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body." If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. When we look at these 12 verses, we want to put them into one sentence that becomes our main idea that defines everything that we're seeing in the text this morning. Now, this main idea will make more sense as we continue on in these 12 verses, but that main idea states this. A tongue tamed reflects a life changed. A tongue tamed reflects 
a life, a life changed. Now, as we begin here in verses 1 and 2, full disclosure, I'm just going to come out and say this out the gate. Not the text I would choose to preach. In fact, if it were up to me, this would be a text I would avoid. See, the reason being is this text right here is very convicting. This text this morning will expose each and every one of us. What does it say? And this may be a little bit more for, for myself and Pastor Jared, who is not here, and Pastor Steve, who is not with us this morning either. But what, it, what does it say right here? It says, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And that's maybe a reason why I would choose to avoid preaching this text. But there's really three areas in which this judgment comes from. See, it says that we're being judged with greater strictness, right? So we're judged for maybe potentially teaching a gospel contrary to the real gospel. Now, I'm not saying that we get everything here right at Villa's Grace. But I will say that we try our hardest to preach the gospel of Jesus and Him crucified and His resurrection, which leads to our eternal life. Because after all, this life here and now doesn't matter when it's compared to eternity. Now, secondly, I think we're also being judged for teaching and not practicing. Charles Swindoll has this quote I want to read to you that I came across, and he says this. He says, the real test of teachers isn't what they say, but what their families say. Hmm, can you see why this is maybe a little convicting? The extent of people's ministries isn't the size of their churches. It's the depth of their family. Teachers must never forget that. Now, the third thing that teachers will be judged for is their pretense of knowledge. I'm a firm believer that those who stand in the pulpit preaching God's word are actually standing in Christ's pulpit. This isn't my pulpit. It doesn't matter who's preaching here on a Sunday morning. This isn't their pulpit. This is the pulpit of Jesus Christ. And if God has ordained you to stand in His pulpit preaching His word, there's a matter of pretense that you may just have an ability, what this is saying, to have some knowledge, a gift given to you so you can teach more effectively to others. That's a great responsibility. It can also be extremely frustrating at times as well. And as I'm growing and walking in the Lord, as my years on this earth increase, I'm learning to maybe sometimes be patient with people because they haven't had the training that some of us who stand in this pulpit have had. They maybe haven't been walking with the Lord as long as what some of these people have been standing in this pulpit have been walking with the Lord. Maybe they just haven't had enough discipleship yet in their life. There's no way without the Holy Spirit and God's gifting on my life, I could sit here and write sermons week after week. And I'm not saying this because I'm special or I have some talent. No, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm only able to get into God's Word each and every week and write sermons because the Lord has gifted me to do so. That's a tremendous responsibility. There's a 
amount, a certain amount of pretense that the Lord has placed on my life, Pastor Steve's life, Pastor Jared's life, to do the exact same. Brothers and sisters, therefore, it doesn't matter what we think of today's sermon. It doesn't matter what we think of any sermon that's ever preached from this pulpit. What matters is what God thinks of each and every sermon. I could preach potentially, maybe, I don't know, there's a chance, a really, really good sermon that really, really impacts you for, you know, your week. And you could come tell me how great I am. And that sermon could bring absolutely no honor and no glory to the Lord. I don't want to be involved in a ministry like that. There's a reason why James is saying what he's saying right here as it pertains to taming the tongue right out the gate in verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged to ask then these three questions about your preachers and teachers here at Villa's Grace Church. The first question I would ask would be this. Does the preacher or teacher concern himself with serving the body of Christ? Do you see your preachers and teachers concerned with preaching and teaching the gospel as it motivates not only others but himself to serve the body of Christ? The second question is this that you can be asking of your preachers and teachers here at Villa's Grace. Does the preacher or teacher promote spiritual growth Hey, growing pains. It's not comfortable when we're growing. Is the preaching and teaching engineered in such a way that it might rub you the wrong way a little bit? It might bring a little bit of conviction into your life, but for the purpose of you growing spiritually. The third question you can ask is this. Does the preacher or teacher concern himself with their status? Do you get the impression that I'm only up here so my name can be elevated and not the name of Jesus? Because there's only two types of sermons. There's those about he, and then there's those about me. And if I preach a sermon about me, I'm really preaching a sermon about you. We cannot have teachers here that preach a gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've all heard me say this multiple times. You've all heard me say, I don't trust myself. I don't. I absolutely do not trust myself. Because what does verse 2 say? Verse 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a, is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Oh, how easily loose lips will sink one's own ship. The only perfect man, last time I checked, is actually Jesus himself. To stumble, though, is not necessarily indicating that it's a fall from God's grace. That's not what it means when we stumble. Because let's face it, only Jesus walked this earth perfectly. We all stumble in many ways, don't we? But it doesn't mean that you have fallen from God's grace. Rather, to stumble is a constant reminder that we actually need God's grace. 
So when you stumble, that should just remind you that you need this gift of faith that leads to salvation for all of eternity. God's grace, therefore, then, if that is true, which we know it is from God's word, God's grace then leads to repentance. Repentance is what we do when we acknowledge our sin before the Lord, then turn from that sin and go back towards God. And repentance begins with asking for forgiveness, which is only achievable when the believer is focused on taming the tongue. If you don't have a tamed tongue, you're not going to ask for forgiveness. Now, it says bridle. This means to keep in check, to control, or to restrain. An unbridled man repents less and is judged more. That's fact. An unbridled man repents less and is judged more. But a man who pursues the perfection of Jesus will heed our first point this morning. And that point states this. A tamed tongue repents more and is judged less. A tamed tongue repents more and is judged less. See, the whole idea is this. If we're able to tame the tongue, we're able to stay in a good, constant communication with the Lord. So therefore, we're already being convicted and repenting of things that we would be judged for in the future going forward. And we're not talking about judgment as it pertains to salvation. We're talking about, as the Bible tells us, the judgment that comes when we receive our reward on the other side of the cross that leads to eternity. Again, our main idea this morning stated this, a tongue tamed reflects a life changed. See, unless you know the Lord as your Savior, you're not going to be focused on taming the tongue. You're not going to be motivated to even want to tame your tongue. There's three images we're going to show you really quick, but they have profound illustrating capacity as it pertains to our text this morning. This first image that you're looking at is a little bit, it's a small piece of metal used by the rider of a horse to communicate to the horse, to guide the horse to the direction in which the horse needs to go. I, I think this is just so fascinating to me, something so small as a bit you put into this huge, gigantic, powerful horse. I mean, some of us have stood next to a horse. Every time I stand next to a horse, I am just blown away with the power, the might that these animals have. And yet, the small, tiny bit can guide the direction in which they travel. Something else that you're going to be looking at here that is small and guides something that's mighty and massive Cruise liners or any large ship is going to be guided by a small, tiny rudder. That small little rudder can guide the whole entire ship. Same concept as the bit in a horse's mouth. Now, fire begins with a spark. And the great Chicago fire began on October 8th and ended on October 10th due to rain. So if it wasn't for rain, this fire that started, which they really still to this day don't know exactly how it started. Where I'm from is 
near Chicago. So I remember growing up always hearing this story. And the original story, which hasn't necessarily been confirmed, is that a cow kicked over a lantern in a farmer's barn, and that started the fire. But the point is this. A small spark starts a fire. That fire burned for two days in Chicago. It killed three hundred people. And this is back in the 1800s that this actually happened and left 100,000 people homeless. One little spark started a fire that turned into something so massive that burned for two days. Brothers and sisters, this isn't funny as in ha ha. This is funny as in, oh my goodness. See, these are the things that James compares our tongues to. And we see this in verses 3 through 6, and we observe all these comparisons right here in, the, in these first three verses, or actually maybe these first two comparisons, because bits in the mouth of a horse and the rudder on a ship. See, if bits control horses and rudders control ships, then the tongue controls one's destiny. Our destiny can be controlled by our tongue, and that's especially true when it pertains to repentance. Now, there's something that's not being mentioned here. And if you look at these four verses, it is very clear that there is something that has not been mentioned, and that is for a reason. But the one thing that James does not tell us to do is to remain silent. There's no mention of being silent here. So either our tongue can be destructive or our tongue can be constructive, either destructive or constructive. Again, our lips can either sink ships or keep them floating. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This is why the tongue will never be encouraged to remain silent. Because the tongue does have the ability to boast about great things. Now wait, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Because some of you are hearing what's being said so far and you're thinking to yourself, my mom always told me if you don't have something nice, don't say anything at all. We've all heard that, right? But that isn't always necessarily true. James, what does he say? He says, small member, yet it boasts of great things. Brothers and sisters, do not bite your tongue. Do not bite your tongue. Rather, know your bit. Do not bite your tongue. Rather, know your rudder. Therefore, the real question is, if this is the motto that we're going to adopt, the real question would be, is your bit and rudder the Holy Spirit? Because... That's what we're being encouraged right here. We could also ask ourselves, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, but this is really a, a pretty good question that we can all ask ourselves to keep ourselves in check. Do we boast in ourselves or do we boast in the Lord? Because we're being told here that our tongue has the ability to boast and boast in great things. So are we boasting in ourselves or are we boasting in the Lord? And remember, how great a forest is set ablaze by such 
a small fire, as James says. Either our tongue can be destructive again, or our tongue can be constructive. And verse 6 is rather convicting in this regard. See, an untamed tongue is the source of great destruction. However, the opposite is true of a tame tongue. A tame tongue has the ability to confess sin. And we know that from 1 John 1.9 where God's word says this, it will not be on the screen, I will read this for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A tamed tongue can proclaim the gospel, the good news for hell-deserving sinners of the person and work of Jesus Christ and how faith in that leads to our salvation for all of eternity. A tame tongue can proclaim that gospel. We know that from 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Again, I'm going to read it to you. It will not be on your screen. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. See, Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, is saying the same thing that we see James encouraging us in this morning. Make sure that your tongue is tamed towards the Lord. Preach His gospel, not your gospel. Nobody cares about my gospel. And I'm sorry, nobody cares about your gospel either. The only time anybody's ever going to care about your gospel is if it goes through Jesus. Then that's your testimony. But then you're sharing Christ and what He has done for you. And that is the whole reason and the whole purpose behind the church as an outpost in this world today. We are left behind to share Christ and Him crucified. It's that simple. We're not here to change the world. We're only here to share Him who can save all of humanity for all of eternity. Unfortunately, though, we know that not all of humanity will accept this gift of salvation. They will reject the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, there you have it. Because if you boast in yourself, you're going to sink your own ship and the ship of others as well. Boast in the Lord and the ships within the kingdom's armada will remain floating. That is our goal. And verses 7 and 8 are further evidence for our need to boast in the Lord because according to verse 7, mankind contain the animal kingdom. We have the ability to do just that, but in verse 8 we recognize that only God can tame His kingdom. It's amazing how we can tame the animal kingdom, but yet we can't even tame our own tongue. Really what that's stating to me is this. Our tongues are actually more primitive and less civilized than the animal kingdom. That's not a good place to be. Even our miniature poodle who's named Zeke, this little guy that we have at our home, he's like 11, 12 pounds, even he can sit and stay on command. So we can tame dogs, we can teach them to roll over and shake, sit, stay, don't go get the treat until I tell you to go get it, but we can't even tame our own tongues. Again, His Spirit is our bit. His Spirit is our rudder. The Holy Spirit is who guides us. So who do you boast in? Do you boast in yourself or do you find yourself boasting in the Lord? 
Again, our tongue can either be destructive or constructive. It can either bless our Lord and Father or curse people, which is interesting to me because anybody that we curse, we're actually really cursing the Lord because after all, what does it say right here? What is the reminder that James gives us? Oh, that's right. He says, bless our Lord and Father or curse people who are made in the likeness of God because those same people we curse were made in His likeness to begin with. So as Joe comes up and joins me and we wrap up this morning, we recognize James ends this section by actually asking two rhetorical questions. He asks two questions that he already knows the answer to. The first question is this. He says, does a spring pour forth both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? The answer to both of these is no, they cannot. Just like an untamed tongue cannot boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our tongues are inconsistent. See, the problem is the tongue snitches on the heart. Now, I probably should say it a little bit differently for some of us that don't you know, use that terminology, snitch. The tongue tattletales on the heart. Let me read this to you from Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. And this is where we get this from. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Again, let the Holy Spirit be your bit. Let His Spirit be your rudder. And this brings us to our second and final point. The tongue can either be used for our destruction or the Lord's construction. The tongue can either be used for our destruction or the Lord's construction. And after all, what are we constructing? We're constructing His kingdom. We're allowing Him to work through us to share our faith in Him so others can come to a saving faith in Jesus. Again, our first point stated this this morning. A tame tongue repents more and is judged less. And finally, after all we know from an untamed tongue to a tame tongue, a tame tongue is something that does repent more and is judged less. But that main idea stated this, a tongue tamed reflects a life changed. Let's pray. Lord, as we go and leave this morning. I pray that we can continually preach this gospel to ourselves each and every day. It is by your work, not our work. Remind us to boast in you, brag about you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.